We hope and pray that the things that we have chosen in this part of our worship today will be good for the congregation that meets here from time to time. There was a, a little subject that came up the other evening in our Wednesday night study that prompt us, prompted me to research this somewhat, and uh, I hope what we're going to talk about will be the very best for the occasion. I don't really know your thoughts uh, because I'm not able to read your minds, but from time to time I think about the congregation and how long it's been here at this place. And in the course of thinking about that, I realize that where's it going to be approximately maybe 10 years from now or maybe 20? And then that prompted me to really sort of get sober-minded. And I took an accounting in my mind, and I thought, you know, in about 20 years, maybe even less, about a dozen of us that are here this morning in this assembly won't be here. That's just the way things go because our bodies wear out, disease takes us, and so on and so forth. But my heart's desire and prayer to God is that this congregation will remain strong, and it will be here for the very, very long future, serving this community and trying the best of our abilities to preach the gospel to those that are lost. That would be an answer to my prayer concerning this congregation. Now, in reflecting on 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, and that we quoted partial uh, of it Wednesday evening, and I'm going to read it in just a moment. But think about this for just, just a second. How many of us today, without intention, and having the best intentions for ourselves and our families and the congregation here, have just relegated ourselves to churchgoers? Is that all we do, is just come to the worship? Well, we're going to talk about some things today, and I'm going to give you some statistics. I'm going to talk about scriptures that perhaps we need to be reminded about. This is not a, uh, a hellfire sermon preaching down to you. I don't want to do that. But I want us to be encouraged this morning and just take inventory of ourselves and possibly where we are as far as our serving the Lord goes at this moment of time. That's important to me, and I think it should be to all of us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin here. The Apostle Paul, being the writer of this letter, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." And another place, uh, when he was writing to this young preacher, this young evangelist, 
He told us that we are to commit the word, I'm paraphrasing it of course, commit things that he has heard to good and faithful men. And let me say a word in behalf of our, our younger people. I see a growth period in this congregation that was mentioned in Darren's prayer this morning. And I see that because of the things that we're doing here, especially on our Wednesday night studies, growth in our younger people, and that's a good thing. And that is a positive as far as thinking about where the church at this place will be in the future and how strong it will maintain and let me just say this, in our conservative thinking and according to what God teaches, hold fast those good things and cast aside those things that are not good for the church, according to God's word. Well, in the, along this line this morning, talking about the future church, let me just say that it doesn't take a lot of learning on our part to learn that nothing stands still for very long. We can see that about us. We can understand the thought that I'm trying to make at this moment of time. At this very moment, we are at the portals of another year. It seems like that 2010 just got started. And now it's almost over. People are going to start making resolutions. Perhaps you do that. I don't know. But thinking about the future. What am I going to do? Am I going to better myself, my family, and what are we going to succeed at in the very near future? But I want to take this opportunity to talk about change that we see in the world. Change is a very constant thing, and all changes are not bad. But there are some changes that we expect, some that we even hope for. There are some, though, that are not good for us, and they should never occur, and we should cast them off, and certainly not let them enter into our lives, especially in the church. This morning, we're here today to talk about, well, in essence, in a short segment of it, our leadership, and we want to reflect upon, upon that. We're here to discuss our attitudes. We're going to talk about our goals and the future of the Lord's cause upon this earth. And in short, we are here at this time to take a long, hard look at ourselves and what we're doing for the Lord and for his cause. I might just say the church in 20 years here at this place, what will it look like if I was able to be here and to see it in itself? The very thought to me is awesome, but think about it. We have to. And we have to make plans. We have to succeed in order for us to be at this place in the future. Proverbs 29 verse 18 tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. So you see, God's word teaches us that those that lead the flock need to have some sort of a vision, need to have some sort of plans, I should use that term, for what this church is going to be like in the future and we can't wait to be dragged into the next generation and the next one and the next one we need to walk hand in hand with it and make sure 
that the later leadership, first of all, is strong and brings the young along. And that's the way we sustain the conservatism that's found in God's word. Now this morning, I give this lesson to you with several understandings. First of all, I understand that I'm neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I have no uh, crystal glass ball that I can look into and tell you what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds, but I understand that we're looking at a constantly changing scene against a backdrop of an unchanging word. Let me just rephrase that like this. Things are moving along at such a rapid pace and we get caught up in things, don't we? We certainly do. But behind the backdrop of life that's moving along so rapidly, there is still something behind that that is constant, is always there and never changing. And that's the word of Almighty God. And we need to look through this movement that is so fast and furious and can cause us to stray off into the bushes, so to speak, and remember that there is something that will draw us back to the straight and the narrow. And that's the word of all God, Almighty God. It never changes. God designed it that way. You know, there are many constants that we could talk about, but I just want to talk about a few today. For them, I am very, very uh, grateful to God that he made it this way. I want you to hear something that this morning we could turn over to Daniel chapter 2 and verse number uh, 44, I believe it is, talking about the kingdom and how it would come and what it would look like and so on and so forth. Then we flip in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and we read the history that's found there. And it's remarkable how the prophets could see and how it came to pass. You read over later on in James chapter 4 and how things were succeeding and, and going forth. God is ever the same. Now, what's his product? Well, God's product is the word and it is always here and constant and it never changes. And I can't say that too many times. Clearly stated propositions that we find in God's word that can be thought about, studied about, learned about, our human intellect can be put in place and it's there for our reading, for our understanding. But do we? Do we know God's word? Do we know what he's trying to tell us from the light of his word? The word itself demands that we study the signs of our times and we do move forward with a constant of God's word and do those things that he would have us to be conservative in. Turning our eyes to these times, it almost leaves us dizzy. Perhaps the right word might be dazed. The only constant thing sometimes that we see is change itself and how rapidly that it occurs. The field, the world, the hearts of men, the soils are all factors that we have to consider. And we realize that men change, but the word of God doesn't. It just stays there in a constant form for us to, when we move to the right or we move to the left, can readjust the way we live and come back 
down the straight and the narrow. And that's a wonderful thing that God has given us. And most of us, I'm sad to say, just simply take it for granted. The changing world is out there and we need to admit it and we need to look at it in sometimes a bad way. We don't need to let it affect us. In 20 years, I am told, to, uh, as some surveyors have taken, and uh, I've said this from the pulpit time and time again, that statistics, by the time you quote them, are usually old and perhaps forgotten or they change from time to time. But here's some of them. In about 20 years, it said that one of every three people that you meet will be of a different race. And that's probably already here. And you think about that. This is already true in some of our, our, our uh, country. We do not see this, though, from a church standpoint as a problem, as the world does. But we see it as a challenge. What am I talking about? Do we not need to develop some young preachers that can speak Hispanic, Spanish, uh, maybe uh, foreign languages that we would never dream that we could do? This is uh, uh, ideas that I was thinking about and I wrote down some of them. We need to plan for it. We need to face it. We really have not done much for those people that migrate into our country. Well, for sake of a better term, they call minorities. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but listen. Let me start talking about this from the light of our homes. Our American homes. I want you to think about some things now that I'm going to mention. We already, in the church, I believe most of us wrestle with the problem of what our homes are like. Some of them are, are wonderful. Some of them are, are just like the Bible teaches they should be. But then again, on the other hand, there are homes that even in the church have been affected by evil and sin and been decimated by divorce and so on and so forth. 20 years ago, divorce among church members was practically unheard of. It's something you just did not hear much about because it wasn't here. Today, there are very, very few families, even possibly in the churches in this area that have not been affected by that evil. It's an awful thing for the church to be broken up because of divorce. And you know, if you had the ability to have the old serpent or the devil's book, if he's written down names, let's never let our name get there. We need to be mindful of it. Losses up to 48% occur among our young and our young to middle-aged families. That is a startling statistic. And if you were to take a survey today, it's probably higher. But this congregation, I believe, moves in a, in a positive, good direction. And that's to train our children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from thee. That's what the Bible says over in Proverbs. So you see, there's a mission for us, something that we can all work together for and succeed in. And that's training our little ones and showing them the need to be mindful of God and to respect Him and serve Him all the days that they live. 
Out of every 100 children that are born today, according to this survey, statistics indicate the following. 12 are born out of wedlock. 40 were born to parents who will divorce before the children reach the age of 18. Five were born to parents who will separate before they reach 18. Two were born to parents of whom one will die before the children reach 18. Only 41 will reach age 18 in what the world calls normal. Now, if you talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different ideas today about what is normal. 59% of the children born in 1983 will live only one with one parent before reaching 18. But today, this is a normal experience. This is what we see in our society. Good? No. What can the church do about it? We can affect it. We can do things. Further statistics reveal that real problems are ahead for the world, the society, the church. And it is alarming when you think about it. In 1955, now this goes back several years. In 1955, 60% of American households had a working father, a household mother who was a housewife, and two or more children found therein. In 1980, that union was, unit was found in only 11% of our homes. In 1995, it was down to 7% already. So you see the decline? Now we're talking about the foundation of everything, and that's our homes. So if we work hard, if we use the instructions found in God's word as far as how the home is to look and survive and succeed, these statistics will not affect us in the church whatsoever. I'm told according to a survey that was back in, in the early 2000s that the typical family includes any of the following. Single parent, male or female, with one or more children, a female breadwinner with a child and a live-in husband, a previously married couple with a combination of children. One of the three. The family, by definition, several years ago, was this. A combo of people not related by blood or marriage, but by voluntary association. Folks, listen. I say this to begin to show you just how detrimental society can become if we just let ourselves become churchgoers, just coming to worship. And I might just mention the fact that some of us can't even do that, except on the Lord's Day. If we're going to build up this congregation, it takes everyone. And let me tell you this, if you think for one minute, in this particular place of the church, that the leadership here is not interested in you and how you are to live and succeed to make heaven, then you are absolutely deluded. The congregation here together can accomplish that and the leadership will help you. If we can't do those things, we'll find ways to do them. We'll learn, we'll educate ourselves, and we'll help you every way that we can.
Brethren, listen, the winds of change blow and they blow in gale proportions. In my short lifetime, I've seen us move from workers in the field over into the industrial side, from the industrial side to the informational side. And that's just the way how things are and how fast things are moving today. I remember as a kid uh, to make extra money to help buy my school clothes, I got out and I chopped cotton, picked cotton, worked out in the fields. Why, our kids wouldn't do that today if, they, if you forced them. If you beat them to death almost, they'd think that, oh, how persecuted they are. And that's okay. We have educated ourselves. We have sent them to school. We have bettered them, and that's a good thing. But let's never look down upon those that still do it. Technology is turning the world inside, inward upon itself. I cannot keep up with it. I would break, break Daryl and Gail's financial bank if I tried to keep up with electronics. It's amazing what things can be done in a little handheld gadget, gadget today and what it will succeed in doing. Technology is a, a tr tremendous thing. We can avail ourselves of it, but let's not get caught up in it and let us take us away from the road that we're traveling. You know, folks, listen. One man said this, and think about it. He said that the global village is here. Think about how far we can get from point A to point B in just a few hours today. How small the world has become and how fast we can uh, travel from this place to that place. It's, it's just remarkable. We are in transition if we like it or not. If there has ever been a time to think for the leadership of congregations to plan things out together to set goals, it's now. Who are we? What are we about? Where do we want to go and what do we want to achieve when we get there? That's some things that we can think about and study about. And that's the reason why today, for the purpose of this lesson, is to remind us and the leadership of this congregation that we have plans that we need to make and stick it and adhere to them and do those things that God would have us do and not what's out in the changing world. The greatest need of the church today and in the future will be the leadership and see it strong strong in the eyes of the Lord and the congregations. There is grassroots cry for leadership in our congregations. And if you think for one minute that if you study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing it in its true sense, you will be followed and appreciated because you'll be on the straight and the narrow. And that's what we're talking about today. It's so important. We need to have the proper scriptural guidance that God can give us. Never has leadership been so important. Never have we had a priority so great. And you know, truth, I want to say this in the course of our study this morning, truth does not assure leadership. While truth provides it and God's word demands it, we are the ones that must develop it. It's our responsibility to do that. 
No one will do it for us. You know, it's appalling to me that in one survey, 59% of our brethren have no plans for developing elders, deacons, or preachers. Now, we've talked about this on our Wednesday night study, too. And it's, a, it's a marvelous in the fact that God has designed a way for the church to be governed, but yet we just kind of move along at a, a snail's pace, and perhaps we need to think about that a little bit more. Do we not all read from the same book and what he teaches us? Well, absolutely we do. And we can read together the instructions for leading the church forward and the things that need, be, need to be done. The word demands that we do that. Are we not forced to the conclusion that we either do not know the word or sometimes we just get in a mode that we really don't care? And that's the dangerous part. We really just don't seem to care. There is indeed a crisis today among us, I believe, and it is a terrible lack of biblical knowledge. Let me cite to you what God said about this many hundreds of years ago. Over in Hosea, the fourth chapter, verse 6, and it's never been truer. Listen, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This can be decimating to you and your life and your family's atmosphere. If you don't step up to the plate and learn the language found in God's word, people can cause you to drift because you don't have the strength that it takes to withstand those that put pressure on us from the outside. My people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 13. You can be captivated by sin because of the lack of knowledge of God's word to combat it. And we don't want that to happen, especially not in this congregation. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 is so applicable today. There is a distinct correlation between the way we live and what we know, between the leadership of a congregation, what it knows, and what it can accomplish by the knowledge that it has studied and received from God's word. We must have leaders who will lead us to accept the destiny of our design. Let me give you a challenge. Sometime take the time to read and study at length Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. There's a great deal of insight there. Leaders whose senses have been exercised to sort out what matters from what does not matter, the sacred from the secular, the primary from the secondary, and growth from change. Folks, let me say this. One is permitted and one is not. One is permitted and the other is condemned. We desperately need men who know and will lead the church to know. It is just oversimplified perhaps, but that's the way it is. We need men who will stand in the gap and show the world a city that is set on a hill, whose streets are not laced with denominationalism. We don't want that in this congregation. We don't want to have anything to do with it. And we need to have the knowledge to combat it from time to time if it does attack us from the outside. 
The winds of change blow, brethren, and they blow universally. Something that I read that was rather interesting, and it's far from our shores. But men who have led the church for years in this country have looked across the Atlantic Ocean to Great Britain, and they say that there is great concern about the falling away that they see. They state that there are many following doctrines that the church once, once fought and condemned. And this is the way change happens. Sometimes it's such a subtle, slow thing, but you look around and it's here. And it's too late almost. Let's grow up. The old past movement of 1920 shall have ground for us to remember that the church can be decimated by those who will teach error. Let's train our younger boys that are going to come up and have a voice in leading this congregation, <coughs> excuse me, so that they can stand on a thus saith the Lord and the congregation will support them in it. That's what we strive for. Both at home and abroad, we are faced sometimes with what we call a monumental task. You know, if I could have my way, do you know what assimilation is? Assimilation is where we let ourselves gradually be changed into something different. And it's sometimes, like I said just a moment ago, it's a so, slow process. And the assimilation if we let ourselves become weak and we forget the word or we don't even know it to start with, can cause us to assimilate into something that God doesn't like, that he doesn't want, and he won't have it. And it's just as simple as that. Simple as that. We cannot sit idly by and watch people assimilate into the world and become weak because of the way that they live and let the world influence them. That's the thing that we need to fight. Movements tend toward three distinct stages. There is a beginning stage characterized by a fervent, urgent evangelism, distinctive people, and great unity. And that's what we need to exercise and stay with and promote. The second is a degenerating of the first. And like I've already said, sometimes it's a very slow process Let's be mindful of it. Let's think about it. Evangelism, first of all, drops off. In-camp conflicts rise and power struggles begin in the congregation. You might have a whole congregation, but one brother that stands out that's opposed to everything the congregation wants to do to let it go forward and succeed in this world. What do we do about that? Set on our laurels and nothing? Absolutely not. The Word of God instructs us what we can do about that. Well, in the third, evangelism is almost non-existent. The people battle or settle down to church going, as I've already mentioned briefly. Peaceful coexistence is the order of the day. In order for us to just get along, all we want to do is just come to worship. That's not the way it works. We all know that there are different personalities in this congregation and others. And sometimes there are going to be uh, times when we don't agree with everything. 
But upon the scriptural side, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter says, that's a necessity. So we grow up, we learn that, and we learn how to cope with each other. And I think we succeeded that here. I really do. And we need to keep up that good work. To me, the matter of most concern, utmost concern, I should say, is where are we? I will tell you right now where some of us are, and it's alarming. We are more like the world than we've ever been. Now, I could get specific, but time will not permit. Let me go on. We talk like the world. Listen now. We dress like the world. We go to the same places of entertainment that the world's at. In short, we are, and in many instances, not only in it, brethren, we are it. And that's what I'm talking about. That's dangerous. We seek the world for entertainment. We forget the church and the things that need to make it survive. And that's dangerous. Let's not do that. Let's be reminded of it. We are confusing the world and doing this. Now, what do I mean by that? Confusing the world. Well, <clears throat> you know, they don't like to understand why we're trying to change them sometimes. They, they get frustrated. They don't understand, why are you preaching to me this doctrine and this commandment and so on and so forth when they look at us and we're just like them? We look like them, we sound like them, we dress like them, and that proverbial duck quacks like them. So you see the fertility in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ doing the things that God has taught us to do to convert the world. And the danger is we're just like them sometimes. And we can't do that. The church in the future, real problems face us unless we look back and be a distinctive people that God intended us for us to be. A peculiar people, that simply means different, that they can see a difference in us. A holy nation, the light and the salt. I want to remind you of something right here. Salt, and I'm told that if you put a lot of it on your food, it's not good for you. But spiritually speaking, in this, in this idea that's given forth in Scripture, it preserves, it flavors, it stings, and makes people thirsty. Now, what do we do about that? The Lord grant us boldness to run out into the world and emphasize what makes us unique. We need to tell them, show them, remind them, convert them. That's what the Bible is talking about. And you know what, brethren? The mandate that we have before us is very, very clear indeed. Distinctive people of God preaching a definitive word is what God is looking for today and what the world needs why is the church and the world still here today? Can you answer that question for me? Think about that just a moment. Well, listen. In conclusion this morning, and I'm just about out of time, skills are not developed by wishing that they were ours. And here it is. 
Parents may love their children with all of their heart, but they may still lack parenting skills. You don't just learn how to raise a child overnight. It is something that is worked at continually to train these little children the way that they should be. Doctors may wish to help people by the score, not to have, and within their repertoire, the skills to fix something that this person needs. So they send you to a specialist. That's what we do. Folks, listen. If I was to design a leader in the church of our Lord, it would be a skilled individual with every facet of what it takes to live a Christian life and to help you along the way. Facing the future is getting prepared for things that are going to come our way. The church in the future will depend largely on its people in this room. All of us will be involved in it. All of you, if you live to see tomorrow, a week, a month, 20 years, will be involved in the process of what the church is going to be like on down the road. In conclusion this morning, let me read something from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to begin at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Brethren, listen. We cannot let the church go begging and let it become like the world. We need to take those things that are found therein and hold fast to it and train and teach our young that one day in the distant future, our congregation will still be intact and the word of God will succeed. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.